You can take your seats. <clears throat> so we've been looking this summer at uh, the, uh, the life of Jacob, and uh, we are uh, up to uh, the part of his life, a very turning, pivotal uh, occurrence in his life where he is fleeing from his, uh, his home uh, to go to his uncle's house um, uh, to get away from the murderous intent of, uh, of his brother that he has stolen from and uh, uh, to, uh, that he has uh, also tricked his dad into giving him something uh, that was his already in the first place. So it's quite an interesting, uh, interesting story. And so we're going to meet Jacob uh, today uh, on his way and uh, see what God uh, does and uh, has to say to him. But before, uh, before I read that, let me pray. Uh, Father, we come to you today thanking you for uh, the fact that uh, you uh, love us uh, even when we're wrong and that you pursue us even when we're fleeing from you and you uh, are gracious to us when we uh, are uh, in trouble, even trouble of our own making. And so uh, as we uh, look at the story today of our father, Jacob, I pray that you would bless us, that you would give us a sense of your enduring promise and uh, uh, your enduring presence with your people. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, Genesis 28, 1 to 5, and then verses 10 through 22, the text is in the bulletin also up on uh, the screens uh, behind me. Uh, this is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. 
Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I may come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So we're going to take two weeks to look at this text because it's such a, such a great text, uh, such a great story. Uh, we're gonna, we'll, we'll take some time next week uh, to look particularly at the, the dream itself and at Jacob's terrible, faithless response uh, to, uh, to what uh, God uh, said to him. Like, well, you know, God just said, I'll be, he'll be with me. And I'm like, well, if you're with me, then, you know, I'll consider making you my God. Right, so um, so it's a uh, it's a it's a pretty uh, uh, interesting and a uh, very telling story. And so, uh, one of the things that I think is is so profound about uh, this story is the pursuit of God of His people when we are in trouble. Now Jacob's in trouble. Rebecca has kind of told this story to Isaac after she finds out that Esau is comforting himself with thoughts of murder, of thoughts of killing Jacob. She decides she's got to send him away, and so she uses the subterfuge of saying to Isaac, look, I don't, want, I don't want Jacob marrying one of these Canaanite women, so we need to send him back to the homeland so he can find a wife there that's more like us culturally, religiously, and that kind of stuff. Otherwise, I'm, I'm just, you know, I just can't stand it. So Isaac's okay, and he blesses him and uh, sends him on his way. But Jacob knows he is having to flee from his brother. And as on the way, as he goes, he has an encounter with God. Now, what's interesting about this, and we'll note this in a few weeks, is that many, many, many years later, when Jacob is rich and uh, has wives and servants and flocks and all of those things, and he's returning to the land, he'll have another encounter with God, where God will leave him uh, with a limp knock his hip out of joint after a wrestling match beside the creek. And uh, that, too, will be a remarkable and, and life-changing uh, experience for him. Um, but the thing that is, is so interesting to me about this is Jacob is in trouble. And it's much trouble, the, much, the trouble that he has, much of it is his own doing, Right? God had promised that, uh, that the birthright and that uh, things would go through him even though he was second born, and yet he participates in his mother's scheme and gladly does the things that she says to him to do so that now, you know, he's having to flee. He's in trouble. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting about this is, is that God's going to pursue him. God is going to reveal himself to Jacob on the road there to, uh, uh, to, his, to his uncle Laban's house. Uh, and it's just a remarkable, remarkable story. Now, what we see here is, is that as, as Jacob is going along, he is having to sleep on the ground. And he has to use a rock as his pillow. Not an RV, not, uh, not glamping here, but he is having to sleep on the ground, out in the open, on his way as he's fleeing, right? Uh, it's just kind of a window into the, the state of his life because he's a mama's boy. You know, we read earlier about him that he was a quiet man who liked to stay around the tents, 
right? There's no tent for him tonight. He's fleeing for his life, and he is in trouble. And God, in his grace, comes to Jacob in his trouble. Now, I know most of you have never been in trouble, right? (laughs) Most of you live such tightly put-together lives that certainly, if you have trouble, it's what somebody else has done. Never you. You've never been responsible for any of the trouble in your life, right? As someone who is in trouble almost on a daily basis, uh, I, you know, when I grew up, I can't hardly remember a day of junior high school where I didn't get paddled. And I, they probably should have paddled me more. This was back in the days, you know, the, the Middle Ages, uh, where, uh, where corporal punishment still happened. I mean, I got paddled for chewing gum. I got paddled for talking. I got paddled for you name it, I got paddled for it. Sometimes I, one time I even got paddled just because the teacher said, you look like you did something you shouldn't have done. <laughs> Which, at the time, I thought, this is so unfair, but I recognized, you know, I must have had a reputation. Anyway, so Jacob has this reputation, and he is in trouble, and he is fleeing. Now, one of the things to note about this is, and one of the things we have to be careful about is, we, we don't have a great picture of the devotional life of this family, do we? We don't, we, we, we don't read here. We, we hear these people speak God's name a lot. We, we hear Isaac and Rebekah, you know, they, they talk about God, but there's no sense of any kind of intimacy there at all. We don't, we don't read about Rebekah going to God in prayer and saying, hey, God, should I trick Isaac? You know, Jacob's not saying, Lord, my mom wants me to do this. Help me, right? They're all in this. They all got stink on them, and they're all doing this together. And they have this kind of allegiance, this understanding that that God has chosen them, that he's unique in his relationship to them, but it's not really making that big of an impact on them, right? I mean, they're they're still grasping after things and doing uh, the, the thing they're sinning, and yet here Jacob is, and he's out there asleep on the ground running for his life. And so God shows up in a dream, and we're going to talk about the dream next week as well as his response, but he wakes up the next morning as God appears to him, standing over him, as God appears to him, and as he wakes up, he says, uh, surely God was in this place, and I did not know it. How awesome is this place? After seven and a half years of worshiping, in uh, uh, what was then Bird Middle School, is now Cuyacuson Middle School. Uh, God blessed us with the, the resources to be able to re- buy and refurbish this first floor. And in December of 2000, uh, right before the great crash of Y2K, remember that? Remember that? How the world came to an end? Right? Well, right, right as we were uh, moving in here, we had uh, uh, our first worship service. Everybody was excited, house was full, all those things that feed pastor's flesh. You know, success, you know, it's just beautiful. And of course, you know, because there's a God who loves me, almost everything that could go wrong that morning went wrong. 
And uh, the worship team was doing a great job, and they started singing the song. We used to sing it a lot around here. You're awesome in this place, mighty God. And, and you know, I don't, I, I, you know, when you have trauma, sometimes you block out memories. So I don't, I don't remember exactly all the things that were going wrong, but I remember a lot of things were going wrong. And, and I looked at Kevin, and I'm like, what is, what is happening? And he just smiled at me and said, well, one thing's for sure. The only one that's awesome in here this morning is God. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> the rest of us, not so much. Right? So, so Jacob has this encounter with a God he barely knows. A God he's heard about. A God he, who is his very life who has been present with him since before he was born. And now this God reveals himself to him in this very direct way in this, uh, uh, in this dream. And so he says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Have you ever thought about that, about your own life? The Lord is here with me. And I didn't know it. Right? That God is with you. Where you are. In the doctor's office. In traffic. In church. At home. Were you aware of it? That he was with you? Did you know that the very presence of the living God resides with you? That he has tied himself to you? That God is ordering the affairs of your life and that he's with you, even in trouble, even in distress, even when you are in trouble because you did something terrible, right? And so as we, as we think about this today, I mean, I think that's, that's one of the things that uh, is, is so profound about this is because one of the very basic promises of God, one of the foundational things that you see repeated over and over and over and over again, particularly in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well, is the fact that God is with us. He is with his people. That by tying himself to us in covenant, by coming to us in the flesh, as Jesus Christ has done, the thing that God wants us to carry around in our mind is that as we walk through this world, as we go through the difficulties, as we struggle and live and die, we never do it alone. There's poor Jacob laying out there without a tent, without a cover, without a pillow, and he, I'm certain he thinks, woe is me, I'm all by myself. And God shows up and says, no, listen, I see you. I am with you. I am with you, right? I mean, with is one, if, there are many, you know, kind of words, phrases, that sort of thing that you could summarize God's relationship with his people. But one of the, one of the best words, one of the richest words in the vocabulary that the scripture gives us is that God, the withness of God. That he's with us, right? And, and the thing about it is, what, what happens to us, and I think what happens often to, what, what's happening to Jacob there is, as we see in his response, right, is, okay, it's great that you're with me. Fine. Fine. Good. Does that make you feel better, God? Fine. But what I'm interested in is, well, if you'll be with me, and you'll keep me in the way that I go, and you'll give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. In other words, it's great that you're with me, but where's my next meal coming from? It's great that you're with me, but I need clothes. 
it's great that you're with me, but can you give me some relief from this? It's great that you're with me, but, but I need you to do some other things here to make life easier, better for me. I, you know, and in Jacob's case, I, ne- I need you to kind of protect me from the consequences of my own sin, right? Here's the thing. You know, we lead our lives uh, probably in a way even more so than Jacob did without an awareness of the divine presence in our lives. We lead our lives as if God is distant or as if he is an idea or, or whatever. But the fact of the matter is what the, what the Bible tells us is, is that God is present with his people all the time. You know, that, that we have this doctrine called the omnipresence of God, that he is everywhere, that there's no place in creation where God is not present. And so, so the, and, and you, you know, when you tell uh, children that, right, they're like, hey, dad, is God over there in that chair? Hey, dad, is God over there in that tree? Hey, you, you know, you get, you get all those questions. And I always said, yes, he is. Uh, and he's right here with us right now in the car, riding around with us. He's not the co-pilot. Right. So, so, so the so the the, the fact the, the fact of the matter is that is one of the things that we tend not to believe, or we tend not to live as if that's that God's not actively engaged, involved, and present with us by His Spirit. But I'm here to tell you, God thinks His presence with us is a big deal because He repeatedly promises it. And where does history end? With the statement in Revelation, now the dwelling place of God is with man. That the deepest blessing, the greatest thing that God could give Jacob is not food and clothes, as important as those are. And Jacob's going to grow very rich. He's going to have a house full of kids. He's going to have a barn full of goats and sheep. He's He's going to be rich. But as important as that is, what God wants Jacob to value and see and rest in is the fact that God's with him, right? Uh, I came across this quote from uh, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, right? Oh, to feel God everywhere in the little as well as in the great, in our risings up and in our sittings down, in our goings forth and in our comings, comings in. I can conceive of no life more blessed and of no spirit more akin to the spirit of the glorified than the mind and heart of the man who lives in God and knows and feels that God is ever present with him, right? We live in such a mechanistic age that we approach our lives and we approach the world in such a way that the wonder of the very presence, the divine presence, the supernatural presence, the very power of God is at work ordering the affairs of our lives, ordering the affairs and caring for us, providing for us, leading us, directing us. <clears throat> One of the things that happens to us is we often, you know, we, we, we think that uh, the world is just kind of a very mechanistic and that things just follow and that sort of thing. When in fact, what we recognize is, is that science is as important as it is and as true as you can determine some things from science, science has a face behind it, a person, right? That the world's not being run by an impersonal set of forces but that the world actually is functioning because there's a person who loves, a person who cares, a 
person who is present with us by his spirit ordering our affairs. And as our confession of faith says, not only is God doing this all over the whole world, but in particular, he is most attentive to and most aware of and most uh, concerned about his own people, just as we read here with Jacob. And in fact, what you could read here in verse 13, the way the ESV translates it is, it says, and then uh, the Lord stood above it, that is the, the ladder, and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham. What you really could translate that is, is that the Lord was poised over him. In other words, what, what you have a picture of here is Jacob's laying there asleep. There's the ladder and the angels. Don't get distracted by that. Because the important thing is God leaning over Jacob and looking at him and saying, I'm your God. I was your grandfather's God. I was your dad's God. I'm your God. I will be with you. I will see you through. I am with you. Hey, Jacob, it's me. I love you. I am for you, right? And so, the, so that very promise of God is what gives Jacob and should give us the courage, the faith to take God at his word so that no matter where we go, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, that we have this very, the deep promise of the very person of God. We, and in Jesus Christ today, we have the very spirit of God, right? We have so much more information. We have so much more knowledge. We have so much more awareness of, 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 of the presence of God than Jacob ever did. Listen, Jesus has come. He has come in the flesh. He has lived a life you could never live, died the death you deserve. He's risen again. And not only that, he's coming back. And until he comes back, he is present with you in, a, in the most profound way by his spirit living in you. And so wherever we go, this is so much richer than any of the information that Jacob had. We have the Bible. <laughs> Jacob's in the Bible, but we have the Bible. We have this information, we have this very revelation of God to tell us that this is the way God interacts with us and that the most precious thing that God on a, on a daily, ongoing basis gives to us is his gracious, loving presence, his gracious, loving care, his gracious, loving provision for us every single day. His mercies are new every morning because he's with us, right? Right? And so it's, a, it's, it's, it's something that we probably don't think very much about, and it's probably something that because we would rather have, as Jacob says there, some creature comforts or some assurances about some physical things, the fact of the matter is what God keeps saying is, oh, yeah, 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 you'll get those things. But the big thing, Jacob, is that I love you and I'm with you. I'm for you. Next slide. And it's not just an Old Testament promise, right? We see Jesus at the, at the end of his ministry as he's getting ready to, uh, to go into heaven. He gives the great commission, right? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the, in, to the, end of the age. Even as Jesus knows that his people are going to scatter, even as he knows that they'll face difficulty and persecution, even as he knows that there will be so much struggle within the church, what's his promise? What's the bedrock? What's the thing that we, that we rest in is that he's with us. That there's no situation, no place we can go, no, no Bethel where we can sleep with our head on a rock where God's not there poised over us, caring for us, 
providing for us, right? So, so how do we know and how do we experience the fact that, that God is with us, that we can know that he is actually engaged and involved uh, in my life, that he's poised over me, right? Well, one is by remembering and believing his promise. It's something that we don't do very often, right? What, what we tend to think is, is that these events come at us, these things come at us kind of in a random way without an understanding that, as I said, there's a face behind that. There's a loving hand behind that, right? Secondly, we need each other to remind one another that God is present with us, that he is with us, caring for us. That the promise of the gospel, that the work that Jesus has done is ongoing, and we experience it in the very providential care and provision that God gives to us. Um, we, we need to have an eye that is looking for how he is present with us, especially in trial, and in especially in trials of our own making. There's a temptation often that because I have sinned, God's presence is no longer with me. Or because I have sinned, God rejects me. Even though I belong to him, even though Jesus died, even, even though I may experience difficulties and challenges, even though I may experience actually the temporal consequences of my sin, that those temporal consequences are actually the very merciful presence of God ministering to us even in difficulty. Do you know that God's with you in joy? That he's with us in wonder? You know, one of the things that uh, has been great for me in the pandemic is kind of a rediscovery that there's an outside. <laughs> you know, that there's stuff going on in the world that uh, in my backyard that rivals anything that Fox or CNN could talk about. Did you know that? The, the, the Bible tells us that the creation is pouring forth praise to God. Because he's present right here speaking to us, preaching to us about his care and provision, even through what happens, right, in nature around us. And an openness to remarkable providence and interventions. You know, one of the things that we we think, you know, because we are, we are serious about our theology in the Presbyterian Church, and we should be because theology is a serious business, and we, um, you know, we, the, we believe very much in the clear teaching and the truth of the Scriptures. And so one of the things that you can morph into with that sometimes is a belief that God doesn't actually intervene in time and in space right now. He doesn't always but he certainly does. I mean, one of the things that we do regularly in our, as, our, uh, as elders in the church is when people get sick, uh, we come to them, we anoint them with oil, we lay hands on them, and we pray for their healing. Why? Is that magical thinking? No, because God commands it, and it is one of the ways we bear witness to the fact that he is a healing presence, uh, that the gospel is true, even and that God is present with us even in our suffering. 
But beyond that, you know, not only is God present in healing, but there we need to have our eyes open to the possibility that God actually is alive and at work in us and in and through our circumstances. I told this, I told this hilarious story many times before, but in 1988, uh, we, you know, I decided that it was... Uh, uh, for the first time, our uh, youth group, our church, would take a missions trip, and we were going to go from here to Chattanooga, Tennessee, to do a work in the inner city with New City Fellowship, Chattanooga. And uh, we didn't have a van, so we had to raise money for a van. We raised money for a van. And because I, Marty will tell you that um, I'm uh, uh, penny-wise and dollar-foolish, I bought the worst van on the planet because I wanted to save a lot of money. Because for what? I don't know, but I just wanted to have money left over. Well, the air conditioning didn't work. Uh, the morning that we got ready to drive over to the church to pick the kids up to go to Chattanooga, when I cranked it up, a giant orange fireball shot out of the, out of the tailpipe. Don't know what that was about. Still don't know what that was about. It's 150 degrees. We're on Interstate 81 near Bristol, and as we're driving down the road, there's a loud explosion. The rear end of the van starts going like this, and I see these black things flying off the back left rear tire. It blew up. So we're off on the side of the road. These kids are with me. And by, did I say that I was the worst youth pastor ever in the history of youth pastoring? I, I was. One of the kids who was there looked at me and he says, I don't know what else is going to happen on this trip, but when we get back, I'm going to make sure you get fired. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He told me that. I'm going to make sure you get fired. Thanks for that. That's awesome. You know, and that's the first day of the trip. You know, it can only go down from there. So... Uh, I'm like, what are we going to do? This is 1988. There's no cell phones. And there we are, stuck on the side of the road. What are we going to do? You know, I'm like, and I'm thinking, I'm praying, but my prayers are not for public consumption at this moment because I'm like, God, what are you doing here? You know, like, you know, this is, this is, I'm, I'm out here sweating it, serving these kids and trying to serve you, and you blew the tire up. Well, there's a, we're there on 81, there's a service road, and there's a house on the other side of the service road, and this elderly couple comes out of their house and walks down to the fence there at the interstate and say, says, why don't y'all, we heard the tire blow up, why don't y'all come up to the house, you can use the phone, uh, you can cool off, we'll get you some water, we'll, you can call the, um, a, a tire place to come and fix you up and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and so we did. We went up there and we, uh, lo and behold, this guy was a deacon in a Presbyterian church there in Bristol. Mar Marty might have actually even gone to his church when she was in school there. And so we were back on the road in an hour and a half. Now, would God have been present with us if we were still there now, you know, 34 years later? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, God's presence is, is always there. But sometimes God is good in his mercy to break into our lives like that because like Jacob, 
were like, you were in this place, you were with me, and I didn't even know it. You see, that's the great uh, thing about uh, the way God works through us by his spirit is because he is always present with us, always poised over us. Because we have the promise of the gospel that Jesus Christ has atoned for our sins, we can rest and take delight in the very fact that God is always, by his spirit, present at work in and with us. Here's these words of institution. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve. And they were reclining at the table, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins. Heavenly Father, Loving King, all of our sins are laid bare before your eyes. We love ourselves, but not those around us. We have nursed anger and envy and have forsaken your humility, gentleness, patience, love, and unity. We tie our joy to our circumstances rather than to your gospel. We repent of fruitless wonderings and ask that you renew us in Jesus Christ. Let us hear your voice saying, Awake and rise. His blood is your peace. His death is your life. His spirit is your power. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and persuade us that a life lived in your service is a life of perfect freedom. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So the scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it uh, to his disciples. We believe when we eat the Lord's uh, Supper, when we come together and we drink the cup and we eat the bread, that we are declaring that Jesus has died for our sins, that we are remembering his sacrifice. We do that. Uh, And that is a part of what we do. But that's not all that we're doing here. We're also recognizing the very spiritual presence of God with us. That he is uniquely present with us uh, 
when we come together in faith and we eat this bread and we drink this cup because we proclaim his grace, we proclaim his death, but we also proclaim the fact that he is with us, that he's here in us and among us, and that that is such a great encouragement and a great uh, um, balm to our souls because the fact of the matter is we're not left to our own devices. We're not left alone to have to figure out what it means to follow after Jesus, that he's actually here with us. And so he gives us something tangible to hold and to eat and to drink, to smell, to have our senses with, to say, as real as that is, even more real is his spiritual presence with us. That gives us courage, that gives us comfort, that gives us conviction. Uh, and in all of those things, this is a great gift from our Heavenly Father to remind us again, not just that Jesus has died, not just that we have forgiveness of sins, but he has an ongoing presence living in and among his people. That's great news for us today. If your hope today is in the work of Jesus Christ for you, you have professed that to a body of believers somewhere, he welcomes you. He has a place at your table, even in your coldness, even in your unawareness, uh, lack of awareness of his presence and his care uh, in your life. Uh, but the fact is, he is with you. He is with us. Uh, as the elders come down front uh, to assist me, uh, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice. You'll find a cup, uh, and underneath those cups is a, a gluten-free wafer. Um, as you come forward, you can take uh, from uh, the elders. If you're uncomfortable taking directly from one of the elders, you're welcome to come and receive the elements of communion uh, from the, the table right there. Um, if you're unwilling uh, to come forward or unable to come forward, ra raise your hand and we will uh, see to it that you get served. Once everyone has been served, uh, we will um, eat the bread and drink the cup together.